Families are hard, aren't they? Whether you've got little kids or aging parents, families are just hard. And around this time of year, whenever people seem to be at their best, families have a tendency to be at their worst, don't they? <laughs> I was uh, doing some research for this, for this sermon and, and bumped across an article that said uh, um, what not to talk about this year at Thanksgiving or Christmas. So what not to talk about Thanksgiving or Christmas. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a little uh, public service announcement and help you all out for Christmas coming up in a few weeks. What not to talk about this Christmas. Okay, the first thing was politics. Because doesn't everybody just love hearing about Aunt Gertrude's like conspiracy theories and she like makes tinfoil hats for you to wear so that the aliens can't scan your brain or whatever. Politics is probably something you can avoid talking about this Christmas. What's the next one you got? Uh, past or present family drama. Because Uncle George is not joining us for Christmas this year because he's doing five to ten in the local slammer. We don't need to talk about our, our drama, do we? I mean, it's a wonderful time of the year. Let's just not drag that stuff back up and do it all over again. What's the next one here? This was fun. The, oh, the, the why haven't you questions. These are my favorite. The why haven't you questions. Uh, why, like, why haven't you gotten a job yet? Or why haven't you gotten a real job yet, right? Why haven't you gotten married yet? Don't you hate that question? Why haven't you gotten married yet? Or, or maybe the worst is, why haven't you had kids yet and made me a grandma or grandpa? I mean, at some point in time, we just need to put some of these things away. Enjoy the family time that we have. Being a parent at this time isn't a lot of fun either. Maybe your uh, mom was like mine, and she threatened you as you were a little kid um, that if you don't behave, I'm going to cancel Christmas. <laughs> like we're going to stop celebrating the birth of Jesus because I punched my sister this morning. No, we're going to still do that. Or maybe, uh, moms, you've got one of those hiding spots in the house, um, that, like a closet or a bathroom, where it's like you just need time away from the children, and then you see the little fingers come up underneath the, the door of whatever that is. <laughs> we like getting away from our families sometimes. We like being home alone sometimes. And the older I get, the more I just kind of like on Saturdays to just be home alone, <laughs> not do anything else. Whenever I was in the corporate gig, I had a 30-minute commute each way. The best one hour of my day every day. I could listen to whatever I wanted to. I didn't have anybody asking me questions. The only person I was talking to was clearly the smartest person in the room, too. You go on dates, don't you? You go on dates to be with your spouse. You also go on dates to jointly get rid of your children for a couple of hours. Let's just say we do that. It's okay. We're allowed to say we do that. Um, in our movie today, Home Alone, Kevin McAllister. Now, okay, hold on. This movie was made in 1990. That was 31, am I doing the math right? 31 years ago? Oh my gosh. Are you old? Are you, are you you're old like me, aren't you? That's <laughs> a long time. It felt like a long time ago. It doesn't feel like it was a long time ago, but it's a long time ago. So Kevin McAllister is in a large family, and their family is going to be going on an international trip for Christmas. Um, and Kevin, as usual, gets into an argument, a fight with his family. 
Well, something happens overnight, and they, got, they have to rush, and they have to hurry up and get to their airplane. And Kevin finds himself home alone. Here's how he reacts to this situation. Maybe, maybe you've done that too whenever the babysitter picks up the kids or something like that, or grandma picks up the kids, and you're just kind of walking around the house, whoa, I'm free, I'm free. But you know what? Sometimes the, the holidays and Christmas is, is hard because you are alone, because you've lost a spouse, or because there's been a divorce, or the kids are all gone. Sometimes being home alone isn't the best thing in the world. It's hard. What you can know, though, is that that's where your church family can step in. We can't fill the void. But being intentional about being in a group, being in a life group, on campus or off campus, doesn't matter. Being with people on a serving team is a great way to have other people in your life that can plug in with you, that you can share your burdens with, that you can share the lonely times with, and you can be real with. It's one of the best things I love about our church. It's that I can be honest and real, and whenever things aren't going well in my life, or whenever I'm just messing up, I've got people that are in my corner. And at this time of year, that's important, right? But for some of us, we're home alone not because of a loss, but because we've just made some choices that we probably wish we could have back. That's what I want to talk about. The choices that we could have wished we had back. You see, a couple of things kind of come to mind about why we might be home alone this Christmas. The first is that priorities or distractions may be keeping you home alone this year. I was kind of searching around, thinking through, okay, whenever you're talking about being home alone, how do you pull in Scripture into this? <laughs> There was a passage that just jumped into my mind, and it's uh, out of the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2. We're going to read through this passage, and, and I've got just a couple things to, to walk through here. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible device, go ahead and pull that out. We'll also have it up on the screen here for you. So Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to pick up in verse 41. It says, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. And after the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now his parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their friends and relatives. Verse 45 says, when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. And three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Verse 48 says, his parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search? He asked. Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Verse 51 says, Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. Can you picture this? I mean, 
I've, I will freely admit I've lost my kids a time or two over at the grocery store, but it's a little different, right? I mean, could you imagine the panic on Mary's mind? I mean, it's not just her kid, it's the Son of God. She lost the Son of God. That would be awkward. How do you explain that later? Sorry, lost your child. <laughs> but something happens in, in this passage that, that we kind of sometimes gloss over, that I think is really important, just at this time of year to kind of point out. Verse 48 says this. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? And here's the, here's the phrase. Your father and I have been frantic. Your father and I, and I, this is totally understandable, completely get it. Your father and I have been frantic. Here's what Jesus turns that around and does something unique. Why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Did you catch the difference there? Mary, your father and I, Jesus, my father's house. Jesus is calling out something that is difficult, and we don't talk about it much. Sometimes you need to choose your heavenly father over your earthly family. Sometimes you need to choose your heavenly father over your earthly family. In cultures that aren't this one, it's not uncommon that if you were to choose to follow Jesus Christ, your family cuts you off. I've got a friend. That's what happened to her. She chose to follow Jesus and her family disowned her and sent her away. She was home alone. Even in our culture to this day, if you follow Jesus, you might be the black sheep of the family or the weird one in the family or the anti-fill-in-the-blank in your family. Sometimes we do need to set a priority of our Heavenly Father over our earthly family. And if that's you this Christmas and you're going to spend Christmas alone because of the stand that you're taking with your faith, I've got a couple Bible verses that can help you out a little bit here. The first one is in Galatians 1, chapter 10. You guys got that in the back? This is the Apostle Paul talking to a church. He says, I'm not trying to please people. I want to please God. Do you think I'm trying to please people? If I were doing that, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Sometimes pleasing God means disappointing your earthly family because they've got expectations of you that God doesn't. Here's another option. First Peter. I know how great this makes you feel, even though you've had to put up with every kind of aggravation in the meantime. This is a good one for moms, too. Pure gold put in the fire comes out of it proved pure. Genuine faith put through this suffering comes out proved genuine. When Jesus wraps this all up, it's your faith, not your gold, that God will have on display as evidence of his victory. I love the way that's worded. Genuine faith put through this suffering comes out proved genuine. 
you may be home alone because you had to make a hard decision that, you know what, I need to not spend time with my family because they just trigger me. That they don't believe in the Jesus that I believe in. And so for my mental health, for my own sanity, for my own faith, I'm going to choose to suffer. We don't talk about that much in church, do we? The idea of choosing to suffer. Peter does. Maybe your priorities are in the right place. But maybe your priorities just aren't. Here's what you can count on. If you work to improve the relationship with your heavenly father, it's possible that you can also improve the relationship with your family as a result. Let me say that again. Improving the relationship with your heavenly father can improve the relationship with your family. If you set your priority correctly, if you set your priority right, it can improve the relationships around you. Here's another verse I want you to pick up on. 1 John. It says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. We're going to skip a verse and move to the next one down. God showed how much he loved us by sending his son and only, his one, I'm sorry, his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And again, one more. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Here's what I know. And I don't always get this right. I'm working on it myself. Whenever I love God better, it helps me love my family better. Whenever I choose to suffer, whenever I choose to come in second, whenever I choose to serve, my family benefits. Here's the next verse I want you to take a, take a peek at. And this is going to be familiar for those of you that grew up in church. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces. Okay, so we talked about loving God. The more we love God, the more the Holy Spirit has room to work in our lives. Here's what it produces. And let's see if your family could be improved by this list. Love, joy, peace. Does your family meal need a little more peace? You know, that, that gathering whenever all the family is there and the aunts and the uncles and all that. How about patience? Kindness? Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. And self-control. The evidence of you working on that relationship with the Heavenly Father means that good things will happen in the relationship with your family. Because the better I love my Heavenly Father, the better I love my wife, the better I love my boys. And the more they recognize it, too. So another thing that can keep us home alone this Christmas it's pride and fear. Pride and fear can, can keep you and I isolated. For Kevin, it kept him away from his family. But for old man Marley, 
They kept him away from his granddaughter. Let's check out that scene. Ever been that way? Your relationships are strained. Maybe it's you and your, your dad, or maybe you and your adult son. Your relationships, you just, you had that one moment, and you didn't see eye to eye. And he was a man, and you were a man, and the two men decided to part ways. And then pride turns into fear. Fear that if I were to reach back out, he would reject me. That's what old man Marley believed. It's a logical fear. We see a similar fear in the pages of Scripture as well. A minute ago, we were looking at Jesus whenever he was 12. We're actually going to go back in time a little bit to the book of Matthew. Not that Matthew's further back in time, but the story is. We're going to look at a story whenever Jesus was first born. This is Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it arose, and we have come to worship him. Now, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Well, in Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. We're going to drop down to verse 13 here. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said, stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Verse 16 says that Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. Herod's pride and fear resulted in the deaths of we don't know how many baby boys. And the weeping and the crying and the sadness of we don't know how many families. I can't tell you that your pride and your fear is going to cause the death of babies. But I can tell you that the longer you allow pride and fear to stand in the way of your relationships, 
the more a small piece of you dies with it. A little bit. Year after year after year. That may make you feel kind of mad at me for saying it out loud. But maybe, maybe you needed to come to church today so that you could recognize or that you could be reminded that, you know what? There might be something between you and your Heavenly Father that's causing something to be between you and your earthly family. And today, you've got some work to do. Today, you were reminded that you've got some work to do. Now, before we turn the corner and talk about ways that we can heal the brokenness in our families, I can't walk away from this movie without watching a little bit of the mayhem that occurs whenever the wet bandits try to take over the house that Kevin McAllister lives in. Just for a bit of fun, let's watch this scene. Oh, if you have a fear or phobia of spiders, I am so sorry. I just triggered you awfully bad. Um, and if I missed your favorite scene out of that movie, you'll have to watch it tonight. I, I apologize. I didn't have enough time to show it all. Um, let's, take it, let's turn a corner here. I kind of beat you up for, the, for a few minutes ago. Let me, let me kind of change the tune a little bit. I was doing more research for this uh, message, and I was trying to come up with how, how do I land this in a way that, that's helpful and useful and all that kind of stuff. And I came across a, uh, a, a blog post by Pastor Rick Warren of Saddleback Church. And um, as I was reading through it, I was like, this is, this is the end of the message. Um, and so instead of telling you that it, I came up with it, I didn't. This is all his work. Um, if you go to fcbc.life in the notes um, page, fcbc.life slash notes, the sermon notes, you'll find a link to what I'm going to go through. And you've got more scripture. He does a better job of telling the, the, this than I do. That's okay. What we're going to do is we're going to hit through the seven steps to restoring broken relationships. Okay, the seven steps to restoring broken relationships. If you've got broken relationships with your son, your daughter, your family, whatever, these steps can help you. They're not going to do the work for you, but they can help you know what work to do. First one here is this. Talk to God before talking to the person. <laughs> I have a tendency to flip the order on that, and then I end up having to apologize to both. Um, but here's a Bible passage that can work um, to help us kind of identify with this. So what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. You do not have because you do not ask God. The first step is to talk to God. The second step, always take the initiative. This one's hard because you and I know that we want to go, well, whenever this person talks to me and apologizes, then we'll start talking. And that's not, that's not the healthy way to approach this. Here's another Bible passage to help us out. This is how I want you to conduct yourselves in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering. Whoa. 
This is Jesus saying this, okay? <laughs> this is amazing. Leave immediately. Go to this friend to make things right. Then, and only then, come back and work things out with God. Jesus is saying, take the initiative. You go first. Take the initiative. All right, next step here. Sympathize with their feelings. Now, I get it. Some of you are not feelings people. I understand. It's okay. This might be the point where you have to do the most work. You're going to have to sympathize with their feelings. But they hurt me. But they said this. But that, 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 that. Don't, don't butt me, okay? Sympathize with their feelings. Get an idea of how they're feeling right now. Get an idea of what's going on in their mind and their heart. Even if you disagree with it. Find a way to sympathize with them. Here's another Bible passage out of Proverbs. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. It doesn't mean ignore. It means to overlook it so that you can get to a resolution. All right, here we go. Confess your part of the conflict. <laughs> Confess your part of the conflict. Sometimes I'm confessing for things I don't even realize I've done. Sometimes I have to ask the person, I'm, what's going on? And they tell me, my initial reaction is to go, but, 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 come on. Here's what's going on. Here's why. No, no, no. Confess your part of the conflict. You can't confess their part of the conflict. You confess your part of the conflict. Here's another passage. This is Matthew. This is Jesus talking again. He says, hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Until we can identify what we've done wrong, never going to get this figured out. All right, next step here. Attack the problem, not the person. This is a hard one, too. Man, all these are hard, aren't they? All of these are hard. This is attack the problem, not the person. So I um, was taking some leadership classes back in college, and, and the hostage negotiator came in. And it was helping us understand how to resolve conflicts. Because whenever you've got a guy that wants to jump off a bridge, you need to probably resolve a little conflict. He said, you need to make sure that you solve the problem, and then you figure out how to deal with the person. Attack the problem, not the person. Here's another Bible passage. Again, this is Proverbs again. We keep bouncing back and forth between Proverbs and this. It's great. A gentle response diffuses anger, but a sharp tongue kindle, uh, kindles a temper fire. I love the way that's Kindles a temper fire. I've been in those. You know that extended family dinner, whenever that one political opinion comes up? <laughs> And I've made the mistake of causing a temper fire before. A gentle response diffuses anger, but a sharp tongue kindles a temper fire. Here's the next step. Cooperate as much as possible. If someone has offended you, you can't solve their end of it, but you can find a place to cooperate. It's just one of the things I struggle with whenever we talk about politics. It feels like we've lost the ability to cooperate, even when we disagree. Here's Romans, chapter 12, verse 18. It says, do your best to live at peace 
with everyone. Do your best to live at peace with everyone. And here's the last one. Emphasize reconciliation, not resolution. Now, there's, there's a nuance there, right? Sometimes we need to be reconciled to the person, but there's no way we'll get to a resolution because the, the wound is too deep. The hurt is too much. And sometimes we have to protect ourselves in order to move forward. But what we can do is, is that we can reconcile. Reconciliation is a, is a counting term. We're balancing the books. We're getting everything written out. Everything's on black and white paper, and it balances. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's resolved. Just because your budget's reconciled doesn't mean you spent it wisely. <laughs> That's what we're talking about here. Sometimes in our relationships, we just need to make sure that we're not angry with each other. And eventually we'll get to a place where we can work with each other. Again, 1 Peter chapter 3. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace. And this is the most important thing you'll probably hear. Work to maintain it. This is going to take work. Families are hard. Families take work. If you're watching online, you understand this really, really well. Families spread across hundreds of miles take a lot of work, and they take time. They take intentionality. You need to be intentional as well. Here's where I want to land with a little bit of homework for you, okay? Here's a little bit of homework for you. Pick one of those seven. So find it on the notes, fcbc.life slash notes, fcbc.life slash notes. I want you to take a step between now and Christmas to restore relationship. Just one step, one relationship. Pick one. Pray. Take the initiative. Sympathize. Confess. Attack the problem. Cooperate. Emphasize reconciliation. Take one step. And maybe, maybe, you'll find that a relationship gets better for the first time than it has in a long time. Maybe, just maybe, your Home Alone experience will look a little something like this last scene that we have from the movie. I can't guarantee you your family's going to come home and look like that. But I can tell you, and if you do the work, you'll change. And if you'll change, it's possible that your family will change as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you care about family, that you care about the nuance of our lives, you care about the relationships. You even care about us whenever we are the ones that mess up the most. God, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the hope that Jesus provides. For that person that came here for the very first time or that's never given their life over to Jesus, Father, I pray that today is the day that they make that decision, that they make that choice to follow you, to work on that relationship with you. God, thank you for loving us first. Thank you for loving us best. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.